0: Chapter 2 of The Dog Crusoe and His Master. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. The Dog Crusoe and His Master by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter 2 A Shooting Match and Its Consequences. New Friends Introduced to the Reader. Crusoe and his mother change masters. Shortly after the incident narrated in the last chapter, the squatters of the Mustang Valley lost their leader. Major Hope suddenly announced his intention of quitting the settlement and returning to the civilized world. Private matters, he said, required his presence there. Matters which he did not choose to speak of, which would prevent his returning again to reside among them go he must and being a man of determination go he did but before going he distributed all his goods and chattels among the settlers he even gave away his rifle and fan and crusoe these last however he resolved should go together and, as they were well worth having, he announced he would give them to the best shot in the valley. He stipulated that the winner should escort him to the nearest settlement eastward, after which he might return with the rifle on his shoulder. Accordingly, a long level piece of ground on the river's bank, with a perpendicular cliff at the end of it, was selected as the shooting ground, and, on the appointed day, at the appointed hour, the competitors began to assemble. "'Well, lad, first as usual,' exclaimed Joe Blunt as he reached the ground and found Dick Varley there before him. "'I've been here more than an hour looking for a new kind of flower that Jack Morgan told me he'd seen, and I found it, too. "'Look here. Did you ever see one like this before?' "'Blunt leaned his rifle against a tree and carefully examined the flower.' Why, yes, I seen a many of them up about the Rocky Mountains, but never one here way. It seems to have gone lost itself. The last I seed, if I remembered rightly, was near the headwaters of the Yellowstone River. It was just where I shot a grizzly bar. Was that the bar that gave you the wipe on the cheek? asked Varley, forgetting the flower in his interest about the bear. It was. "'I put six balls in that bodice carcass "'and stuck my knife into its hot ten times afore it gave out "'and nearly ripped the shirt off my back "'before I was done with it.' "'I would give my rifle to get a chance at a grizzly,' "'exclaimed Varley with a sudden burst of enthusiasm. "'Whoever got it wouldn't have much to brag of,' "'remarked a burly young backwoodsman as he joined them. "'His remark was true, "'for poor Dick's weapon was but a sorry affair.' It missed fire, and it hung fire, and even when it did fire, it remained a matter of doubt in its owner's mind whether the slight deviations from the direct line made by his bullets were the result of his or its bad shooting. Further comment upon it was checked by the arrival of a dozen or more hunters on the scene of action they were a sturdy set of bronzed, bold, fearless men, and one felt, on looking at them, that they would prove more than a match for several hundreds of Indians in open fight. A few minutes after, the Major himself came on the ground with the prize rifle on his shoulder and Fan and Crusoe at his heels, the latter tumbling, scrambling, and yelping after its mother, Fat and clumsy, and happy as possible, having evidently quite forgotten that it had been nearly roasted alive only a few weeks before. Immediately all eyes were on the rifle, and its merits were discussed with animation. And well did it deserve discussion, for such a piece had never before been seen on the western frontier. It was shorter in the barrel and larger in the bore than the weapons chiefly in vogue at that time and, besides being of beautiful workmanship, was silver-mounted. But the grand peculiarity about it, and that which afterwards rendered it the mystery of mysteries to the savages, was that it had two sets of locks, one percussion, the other flint, so that when the caps failed, by taking off the one set of locks and affixing the others, it was converted into a flint rifle. The Major, however, took care never to run short of caps, so that the flintlocks were merely held as a reserve in case of need. "'Now, lads,' cried Major Hope, stepping up to the point whence they were to shoot, "'remember the terms. He who first drives the knell obtains the rifle, Fan, and her pup, and accompanies me to the nearest settlements. Each man shoots with his own gun and draws lots for the chance.' "'Agreed!' cried the men. Well then wipe your guns and draw the lots, Henry will fix the nail, here it is. The individual who stepped, or rather plunged forward to receive the nail, was a rare and remarkable specimen of mankind. Like his comrades, he was half a farmer and half a hunter. Like them too, he was clad in deer skin and was tall and strong, nay more, he was gigantic. But unlike them he was clumsy awkward loose-jointed and a bad shot nevertheless henry was an immense favorite in the settlement for his good humor knew no bounds no one ever saw him frown even when fighting with the savages as he was sometimes compelled to do in self-defense he went at them with a sort of jovial rage that was almost laughable inconsiderate recklessness was one of his chief characteristics so that his comrades were rather afraid of him on the war trail or in the hunt where caution and frequently soundless motion were essential to success or safety but when Henry had a comrade at his side to check him he was safe enough being humble minded and obedient men used to say he must have been born under a lucky star For, notwithstanding his natural inaptitude for all sorts of backwoods life, he managed to scramble through everything with safety, often with success, and sometimes with credit. To see Henry stalk a deer was worth a long day's journey. Joe Blunt used to say he was all gents together, from the top of his side to the sole of his moccasin. He threw his immense form into the most inconceivable contortions and slowly wound his way, sometimes on hands and knees, sometimes flat through bush and brake, as if there was not a bone in his body, and without the slightest noise. This sort of work was so much against his plunging nature that he took long to learn it. But when, through hard practice and the loss of many a fine deer, he came at length to break himself into it, he gradually progressed to perfection and ultimately became the best stalker in the valley. This and this alone enabled him to procure game, for, being short-sighted, he could hit nothing beyond 50 yards, except a buffalo or a barn door. Yet, that same lithe body, which seemed as though totally unhinged, could no more be bent when the muscles were strung than an iron post. No one wrestled with Henry unless he wished to have his back broken. Few could equal, and none could beat him at running or leaping, except Dick Varley. When Henry ran a race, even Joe Blunt laughed outright, for arms and legs went like independent flails. When he leaped, he hurled himself into space with a degree of violence that seemed to ensure a somersault. Yet, he always came down with a crash on his feet. Plunging was Henry's forte. He generally lounged about the settlement, when unoccupied, with his hands behind his back, apparently in a reverie, and when called on to act, he seemed to fancy he must have lost time, and could only make up for it by plunging. This habit got him into many awkward scrapes, but his Herculean power as often got him out of them. He was a French-Canadian and a particularly bad speaker of the English language. We offer no apology for this elaborate introduction of Henry, for he was as good-hearted a fellow as ever lived and deserves special notice. But, to return, the sort of rifle practice called driving the nail, by which this match was to be decided, was, and we believe still is, common among the hunters of the Far West. It consisted in this. An ordinary large-headed nail was driven a short way into a plank or tree, and the hunters, standing at a distance of fifty yards or so, fired at it until they succeeded in driving it home. On the present occasion, the major resolved to test their shooting by marking the distance seventy yards. Some of the older men shook their heads. "'It's too far,' said one. "'You might as well try to snuff the nose of a mosquito.' Jim Scraggs is the only man as'll hit that, said another. The man referred to was a long, lank, lantern-jawed fellow with a cross-grained expression of countenance. He used the long, heavy Kentucky rifle, which, from the ball being a little larger than a pea, was called a pea rifle. Jim was no favorite and had been named Scraggs by his companions on account of his appearance. In a few minutes, "'The lots were drawn, and the shooting began. "'Each hunter wiped out the barrel of his piece "'with his ramrod as he stepped forward. "'Then, placing a ball in the palm of his left hand, "'he drew the stopper of his powder horn with his teeth "'and poured out as much powder as sufficed "'to cover the bullet. "'This was the regular measure among them. "'Little time was lost in firing, "'for these men did not hang on their aim.' The point of the rifle was slowly raised to the object, and the instant the sight covered it, the ball sped to its mark. In a few minutes, the nail was encircled by bullet holes, scarcely two of which were more than an inch distant from the mark, and one, fired by Joe Blunt, entered the tree close beside it. Ah, Joe, said the Major, I thought you would have carried off the prize. "'So did not I, sir,' returned Blunt with a shake of his head. "'Had it a been a half a dollar at a hundred yards, "'I had done better, but I never could hit the nail. "'It's too small to see.' "'That's cause you got no eyes,' remarked Jim Scraggs "'with a sneer as he stepped forward. "'All tongues were now hushed, "'for the expected champion was about to fire. "'The sharp crack of the rifle was followed by a shout.' for Jim had hit the nail head-on the edge, and part of the bullet stuck to it. That wins if there's no better, said the Major, scarce able to conceal his disappointment. Who comes next? To this question, Henry answered by stepping up to the line, straddling his legs, and executing preliminary movements with his rifle that seemed to indicate an intention on his part to throw the weapon bodily at the mark. He was received with a shout of mingled laughter and applause. After gazing steadily at the mark for a few seconds, a broad grin overspread his countenance. And, looking round at his companions, he said, Ha! Miss boys, I cannot behold the nail at all. Can you behold the tree? shouted a voice, when the laugh that followed this announcement had somewhat abated ho oh, we," replied Henry, quite coolly. "I can see him in a good small bit of the forest beyond. Fire at it, then. If you hit the tree, you deserve the rifle. Leastwise, ye ought to get the pup." Henry grinned again and fired instantly without taking aim. The shot was followed by an exclamation of surprise, for the bullet was found close beside the nail. It's more be good luck than good shootin,' remarked Jim Scraggs. Possible Mint, answered Henry modestly, as he retreated to the rear and wiped out his rifle. Mace I have killed most of my deer by that same good luck. Bravo, Henry, said Major Hope as he passed, you deserve to win anyhow. Who's next? Dick Varley, cried several voices. Where's Varley? Come on, youngston, take your shot. The youth came forward with evident reluctance. It's of no manner or use, he whispered to Joe Blunt as he passed. I can't depend on my old gun. Never give in, whispered Blunt encouragingly. Poor Varley's want of confidence in his rifle was merited, for, on pulling the trigger, the faithless lock missed fire. Lend him another gun, cried several voices, against the rules laid down by Major Hope said Scraggs, well so it is try again varley did try again and so successfully too that the ball hit the nail on the head leaving a portion of the lead sticking to its edge of course this was greeted with a cheer and a loud dispute began as to which was the better shot of the two there are others to shoot yet cried the major make way look out the men fell back, and the few hunters who had not yet fired took their shots, but without coming nearer the mark. It was now agreed that Jim Scraggs and Dick Varley, being the two best shots, should try over again, and it was also agreed that Dick should have the use of Blunt's rifle. Lots were again drawn for the first shot, and it fell to Dick, who immediately stepped out, aimed somewhat hastily, and fired. Hit again! shouted those who had run forward to examine the mark half the bullet cut off by the nail head some of the more enthusiastic of dick's friends cheered lustily but the most of the hunters were grave and silent for they knew jim's powers and felt that he would certainly do his best jim now stepped up to the line and looking earnestly at the mark threw forward his rifle at that moment our friend Crusoe, tired of tormenting his mother, waddled stupidly and innocently into the midst of the crowd of men and, in doing so, received Henry's heel and the full weight of his elephantine body on its forepaw. The horrible and electric yell that instantly issued from his agonized throat could only be compared, as Joe Blunt expressed it, to the last dying screech o' a bustin' steam boiler. We cannot say that the effect was startling, for these backwoodsmen had been born and bred in the midst of alarms, and were so used to them that a busting steam-biler itself, unless it had blown them fairly off their legs, would not have startled them. But the effect, such as it was, was sufficient to disconcert the aim of Jim Scraggs, who fired at the same instant and missed the nail by a hair's breadth. Turning round in towering wrath, Scraggs aimed a kick at the poor pup, which, had it taken effect, would certainly have terminated the innocent existence of that remarkable dog on the spot. But quick as lightning, Henry interposed the butt of his rifle, and Jim Shin met it with a violence that caused him to howl with rage and pain. "'Oh, pardon me, brudder!" cried Henry, shrinking back with the drollest expression of mingled pity and glee. Jim's discretion on this occasion was superior to his valor. He turned away with a coarse expression of anger and left the ground. Meanwhile, the Major handed the silver rifle to young Varley. It couldn't have fallen into better hands, he said. You'll do it credit, lad. I know that fool well, and let me assure you, it will never play you false. Only keep it clean, don't overcharge it, aim true, and it will never miss the mark. While the hunters crowded round Dick to congratulate him and examine the piece, he stood with a mingled feeling of bashfulness and delight at his unexpected good fortune. Recovering himself suddenly, he seized his old rifle and, dropping quietly to the outskirts of the crowd while the men were still busy handling and discussing the merits of the prize, went up, unobserved, to a boy of about 13 years of age and touched him on the shoulder. "'Here, Martson, you know I often said ye should have the old rifle when I was rich enough to get a new one. "'Take it now, lad. It's come to ye sooner than either of us expected.' "'Dick!' said the boy, grasping his friend's hand warmly. "'You're true as heart of oak. It's good of ye, that's a fact.' Not a bit, boy. It costs me nothing to give away an old gun I've no use for, and's worth a little, but it makes me right glad to have the chance to do it. Marston had longed for a rifle ever since he could walk, but his prospects of obtaining one were very poor indeed at that time, and it is a question whether he did not at that moment experience as much joy in handling the old piece as his friend felt in shouldering the prize. A difficulty now occurred which had not before been thought of. This was no less than the absolute refusal of Dick Varley's canine property to follow him. Fan had no idea of changing masters without her consent being asked or her inclination being consulted. "'You'll have to tie her up for a while, I fear,' said the major. "'No, fear,' answered the youth. "'Dog's nature like human nature.' Saying this, he seized Crusoe by the neck, stuffed him comfortably into the bosom of his hunting shirt, and walked rapidly away with the prize rifle on his shoulder. Fan had not bargained for this. She stood irresolute, gazing now to the right, now to the left, as the Major retired in one direction, and Dick with Crusoe in another. Suddenly, Crusoe, who, although comfortable in body, was ill at ease and spirit, gave utterance to a melancholy howl. The mother's love instantly prevailed. For one moment, she pricked up her ears at the sound, and then, lowering them, trotted quietly after her new master and followed him to his cottage on the margin of the lake. End of chapter two.